Thank you for joining us for today's message. We're always encouraged to know how God is using this ministry to change lives. If you have a story to share about how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending us an email to amen at imtheexchange.com. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so online at imtheexchange.com. Doing this will help us to bless others and bring messages to you each week. Please take a moment and prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Uh, some of y'all might not know who I am. Y'all know me as the crazy guy that dances on stage, throws his glasses sometimes uh, when he dances too much, and then breaks his glasses sometimes when he gets too, too crazy. But uh, I am Pastor Jay. I'm the worship pastor here. And uh, I just want to say, you guys are looking beautiful today. All right. How many of y'all had a good Thanksgiving? Anybody? Okay, a couple people couple people. Okay, I'm feeling it. I'm feeling it. How many of y'all had uh, lots of turkey? Lots of dressing? All right? Yeah. Lots of mashed potatoes? Huh? Mashed potato fans out there? Sweet potatoes? Yams? Why are sweet potatoes called yams? Right? It's kind of odd. I guess it's the English way of saying it. Right? That was a joke. Anyway, we'll keep going. Yeah, it is a little tough crowd out it's okay. I can, I can roll with it. Uh, so we have uh, been out of technically a series lately. It's been kind of singular sermons. Uh, but something that you guys need to do during these sermons is either A, go back and listen to the podcast for the second time. So you were here, you listened to the sermon. Go listen to the podcast because there might be something that you missed here in service. There might be a nugget, something that's really important that Pastor Jared or Pastor Kevin were trying to get across, and you need to hear those little things, right? Um, so go back, listen to the podcast, or take notes while you're here. Take notes. Pastor Kevin is, is probably better at it than uh, Pastor Jared or myself, that he has slides for like, he has points for like everything he talks about. He pulls out points out of nowhere. I think last time he spoke, he had like seven points. It was crazy. I had to do the Wednesday night recap on it. And I was like going through, I was like, holy cow, that's another point. That's another, that's so good. So take notes. It's good. Uh, but today we're going to talk about something. And uh, TJ, can you throw up my title slide? We're going to talk about no longer them, there's only us. Okay. And I'll explain that here in a little bit. Uh, but first, I want to start out, we're going to read John 15, 12. So if you could stand up with me, John 15, 12. My hair is really crazy. I hope people in the video can see me. It's insane. Um, John 15, 12 says this. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. And we're going to read another one. We're going to read Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And it says this, and Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And that's as much as I had memorized. Um, there we go. Teaching them to observe all that I commanded you and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Father, help. Thank you. All right, you guys can be seated. We're going to go on. Uh, so we have, the, we have these verses, right? And, and I, I read two different ones, and you might have been like, okay, what? how are these connecting here? The second one talks, it's Jesus going up into heaven. He's about to leave this earth. He's already resurrected. He's come back, and he's about to go into heaven and that is what he tells them. That's his last statement to him before he gone. he's gone. He says, all authority in heaven has been given and on earth has been given to me. So now you guys go and do what I commanded you. Right? And the first verse gave you context to that verse. Because he says, go and do what I commanded you. What was the first verse? He said, I command you to do this, to love each other. Right, And he goes on in the next verse. It says, love each other as I have loved you. Okay, so this is powerful. This is 
amazing. This is what we base our whole Christian life on. Okay? So Jesus died. He rose again. That's our foundation. He died for our sins, and he rose again. That's important. He conquered death. He conquered the grave. And then he says, in order to honor this, what you need to do is love each other as I've loved you. This, if you had any question on what we believe as Christians and what we believe as the exchange, is this. That we are to love each other as Christ loved us first. Okay? That's what it all hinges on. That's our mission. That's our purpose. Okay? He said, he said in, the first, in the second verse, go and make disciples. And he explains that in, in uh, John, whenever he gives that command. He goes on, he says, I, I uh, love, love each other as I have loved you, that uh, no man has greater love than uh, one that a brother lays down his life for you. And he goes, do this. If you do this, they will know that you are my disciples. If you do this, not if, not if you go to church. Let's, just, let's be controversial here. You are in church today. But he didn't say go to church. He, he didn't say that. What he said was go and love. Go and love each other. We come to church because it's supposed to be a building up of each other. We see each other and we encourage each other and we say, hey, what's up? So when you come into church and you're only here for the service and you bounce early, you're missing the whole point of church. The whole point of church is not for music to be played. It's not for sermon to be preached. It's so that you can connect with other believers and be built up. That's bonus. That's not even in my notes. Look at that. But so this is the purpose of why we're here. We're here to love. Okay. So what happens after Christ leaves? And I'm going to try to move through my notes as fast as possible. I chose a topic that was way bigger than one, one uh, service. And so we're going to try and power through this. So what happens, history lesson, what happens after Christ leaves? Okay. The disciples, they stand there gawking in the sky. Literally, the Bible says this in Luke. It says that they are watching Jesus go up. And then a cloud, he goes up past a cloud, and they're all just standing. Yep. And, the, and standing, and standing, to the point where God has to send some angels down and say, dude, what are y'all looking at? What are y'all looking at? He's gone. Y'all need to go do what he said to do. And they were like, oh, okay. All right, well, let's go. And they go, and they don't know what to do with themselves, right? So, so because... They don't have, well, right now, being a Christ follower is still very, very controversial. This is only 40 days or 43 days after Jesus is, is, has died, right? So for them to come out and start preaching Jesus is pretty much either a jail sentence or a death sentence at this point, okay? And so what they do is they're probably a little scared. They're probably a little bit timid on it. So they just start doing their life together. There's about 500 of them that was at the mountain when Jesus disappeared. And they all start living this life together. They, they go so far as they feel like they need to appoint another, a 12th apostle. So they find this guy. There are several people that have been with them from the beginning that weren't disciples. They were just followers, right? I don't get how that hierarchy works. But they choose Matthias to replace Judas but then they do something. They wait. <laughs> and they wait. And they wait. And then they wait some more. And at least one year goes by. How do I know this? Because the next chapter in Acts, talks about the Feast of Pentecost. Now, the Feast of Pentecost wasn't something that was named after the fact of this event. The Feast of Pentecost was a celebration. It's also known as Shavat. And this celebration, it's, uh, here's what uh, I think either Wikipedia or Google, I Googled it, okay? 
And it says this, the feast is held on the 15th day after the Passover. So obviously we've already missed that one, right? Jesus was back on the earth for 40 days before he went into heaven again, right? So we've missed that one. So it's a whole year, at least a whole year has passed. And it's a feast held on the 15th after the Passover. It's usually a joyous time of giving thanks and presenting often offerings, and get this, for the new grain of the summer wheat harvest in Israel. So this is a celebration for the new harvest. You get that? You might not get that yet. It's okay. It's, it's for a new harvest, right? And Jesus came down here to do what? Do the old thing? No, he came down to do the new thing, Right? Okay, so a year's passed. Now it's time to harvest that new thing, right? And so uh, here is what happens, right? And I'm gonna, I, I think I didn't give TJ the uh, verses for this because there's a lot of verses. And I'm just going to go ahead and read it myself through the message version because, you know, the message version is hip. It's cool. I realize that word is not cool, but it's okay. Um, and it says this. Uh, then a sound of a mighty wind comes. Whoa. Oh, Jesus. Oh, hey. Y'all thought, y'all thought it was happening right now. Oh. No. So it says a, a sound of a mighty wind comes and no one has a clue where from. Kind of like what just happened. No one has a clue. It happens. Boom. And like no wind, you know, that would be weird. How many of y'all would be freaked out by that? There's sound of a wind, but nothing's moving. That'd be freaky to me. And it says, he says this. So uh, there were, oh, I must flip it. Where was I? Yeah, verse one. Okay, so when the feast of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Without warning, there was a sound like a strong wind, gale force. No one could tell where it came from. It filled the whole building. Then, like a wildfire, the Holy Spirit spread through their ranks, and they started speaking in a number of different languages as the Spirit prompted them. There were many Jews staying in Jerusalem just then, devout pilgrims from all over the world. When they heard the sound, they came on the run. Okay, y'all need to get this. That sound was not just for the people in the room. That sound was everywhere. No one knew where it was coming from, and it was everywhere. And so they could tell it was in this direction. So they, they're like, what is going on over here? No bombs have been made, right? So this loud noise is a big deal. They're like, what is going on? So they start gathering, and then they hear all these people just like a market. You know what I mean? They're like, blah, 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 blah. there's like all these different languages being spoken. And it's not just the spiritual language that we've t that people teach. These are actual languages that people know. Okay? So he goes, he's when they heard the sound, they came on the run. Then when they heard uh, heard one after another uh, their own mother tongues being spoken, they were thunderstruck. I like that word considering there is a wind. Uh, they couldn't, for the life of them, figure out what was going on and kept saying, aren't these all Galileans? How come we're hearing them talk in our various mother languages? And it lists a bunch of people that were there. We're going to skip that. Um, they're speaking our languages, describing God's mighty works. Their heads were spinning. They couldn't make heads or tail of any of it. They talked back and forth, confused. What's going on here? And some people started to joke. They're drunk on cheap wine. Then this is more important to me than the tongues thing. Okay? Because what happens is the Holy Spirit comes down into the disciples who were afraid and who are timid. And something changes. Something changes immediately. 
It's not something that takes a long time. It's not something that's developed. It's something that is downloaded instantly into them. And they start doing things out of characteristic. One, speaking in other languages. Two, what Peter's about to do. That's when Peter stood up and backed by the other 11. So I'm, can you imagine? Okay, guys, right? Imagine that someone's talking trash to you and, you and your boy stands up, right? He's like, uh-uh. And all your other boys, they're like, what's up, right? Imagine that. They got this cr- the 11 dudes walking out, ready to go. And Peter says this. He spoke out with bold urgency. Where was that for the last year, P- year Peter? That bold urgency, where was that? It was nowhere until, boom, Holy Spirit shows up. Uh, bold urgency, he says this, fellow Jews, all of you who are visiting Jerusalem, listen carefully and get this story straight. These people aren't drunk as some of you suspect. They haven't had time to get drunk. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. And then he goes on and he gives the mo- one of the most profound sermons in the Bible about Jesus. And the thing is, is that this is the first time that we start seeing this comparison of Jesus versus the law. And Peter starts picking it apart. He even goes as far as says, you know, the guy, you guys hung on a cross. That would offend us, right? Hey, I didn't do that. No, you guys did that. But you know what? He still died for you. It was for you. And he goes on. He talks about it. And this happens again and again. Can you imagine that? This is a hot topic. And Peter starts to teach and tell everyone who will listen about Jesus. This wasn't Peter. It was the Holy Spirit speaking through Peter, firing off theological connections in his brain because he wasn't educated. He wasn't learned. He didn't sit down with the Bible every day, even though they, the average person back then knew a lot of the, of the Old Testament. Let's just be honest. They cited it every year. They read it for every feast. They knew their, their law. But the thing is, is that he didn't know all of the prophets. He didn't know all of the Psalms. He didn't know those things. He might have heard them when they were a kid. But because of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit starts putting all these little pieces together in his brain and starts connecting. Oh, that's what Jesus meant. Oh, he meant that he, he meant this day, what I'm doing right now. That's what the prophet Isaiah talked about. Ah, oh, boom. And I've seen this happen in my own life, right? The Holy Spirit does something really cool in me is I, I feel like I'm a pretty smart guy. I feel like I, I read a, a bunch and I retain a lot. And I read slow, and that's just because I'm slow, okay? Uh, dyslexia is, is a battle, ongoing battle for me. And, uh, but it all kind of sticks in there. And something really cool that happens when we meet with, uh, whenever I meet with Jared and Kevin, and we're just kind of talking about the Bible, and we're just kind of casually talking, and then somebody says something like, I don't know. I, I can't even give an instance. But he said, someone in the group says something new that maybe I hadn't heard before. And the Holy Spirit starts going to work. And I don't know if Jared thinks that I study a lot more than I do. But sometimes when that happens, he says something. All of a sudden, I start going, yeah, that's why Peter said this. That's why John said this. That's why in the Old Testament, there are all these parallels and all this. It wasn't because I read that. It's because the Holy Spirit took what I had already learned and starts going, hey, this is the truth. This is the truth. What you learned back here, even though it was on the right track, boom, this information is new. This ties it in together. And this is what's happening to Peter. Download instantly, puzzle pieces instantly putting together. And he starts becoming the best preacher ever. Where was that when Jesus was around? He was the dummy of the group. He was the oaf. And he's standing up and he's tearing it up. God starts to do stuff on that day. Amazing things. Miracles happen. Peter and John go to the tabernacle because that's what you do on Saturdays. They didn't change anything. They kept being Jews. They kept doing all the Jewish rituals. 
But the Holy Spirit starts telling them, hey, there's a cripple over there. Go talk to him. And they're like, hey, man, what's up? And he's like, yo, dude, you got any money? And they're like, hey, we ain't got no money because we broke. What up? And he's like, oh, man, me too. I can't even walk. And they're like, you know what? We got something for you. Boom, you're healed. He jumps up. He starts dancing. He's like, doing an Irish jig. And everybody who saw him before goes, oh, he's ripped me off. They start coming over because they're like, dude, I gave you money yesterday. And you up here dancing? And Peter takes the moment. Where is this urgency, Peter? He takes this moment. He starts preaching again. Boom. Hey, guys, you guys who killed Jesus, you didn't kill him. He came back. And with power, he starts preaching. The, the synagogue goes crazy. They get mad. They, they arrest him. They bring him in, and they are like, hey, we need to, you to stop this stuff about Jesus. And he's like, what? And he starts preaching to them. And then they go, man, this guy didn't go to college. And they, like, are so caught off guard that they're like, I guess let him go. Uh, I don't know. I guess he's right. But the Holy Spirit begins to guide and build up the followers as they begin to understand everything that Jesus taught them. But they still had to do some navigating to understand what Jesus talked about, the kingdom. Because in the verses, boop, back, whenever Jesus says, hey, God has given me all authority in heaven and earth, go and make disciples, they ask this question, Jesus, are you still going to establish the kingdom of Israel? Which, this is Jesus going up in heaven, and he's just going, what? You missed it, guys. I'm out of, like, I'm leaving. I am floating already, and you ask me that question, the Holy Spirit will fill you in, right? Because it wasn't about the kingdom of Israel. It was about the kingdom of heaven. It was about the kingdom that Jesus is head of, that is king of. And the thing is that, and I'm going to get into this more later, but when Jesus came down to the earth, we get his teachings. And in America, we have been founded on Christian beliefs. So there's a lot of things that people who don't believe in Jesus and who don't support Jesus still have in them the Christian values and Christian beliefs in them to think that it's natural to have those because that's the way that they were raised. That's not the case here. There wasn't an America to do that. There wasn't a Christian world to do that. There was Judaism. The Jews believed a certain way. There was uh, the Samaritans. They had to believe a certain way because they were oppressed. Then you have all the other nations. You have the Romans. You have the Egyptians who all believe different things, different laws, different morals. And so you have, have this moment, right, where these guys are asking, you know, Jesus, are you going to build the kingdom of Israel? Oh, And he's like, no, you missed it. Jesus came down and he took all of the things that are natural to us humans, the selfishness of us humans, then the wanting to be uh, pleased and the wanting to be um, taken care of above all else, above everybody else. He took that selfishness and he said, Whoop, hey, not only when you kill somebody is that murder, but when you look at somebody with hate as murder. Hey, not only is sleeping with another woman adultery, but when you look at another woman, you committed adultery. What? Now, and that's not Jesus making some big statement about sin. This is Jesus saying, hey, what you thought was wrong. What you thought was wrong. And what does he start teaching? He starts teaching, love your enemies. He even goes as far as says, what good is loving those who love you? Love your enemies. It's no longer eye for an eye. Forget that. It's your world was upside down, and I'm here to flip it right side up. You were backwards. The, the world was backwards. It was off. It was perverted from the way that God designed it. And so Jesus stepped in. He starts teaching this stuff. And this is what the disciples are downloading. Boom, boom, boom. Love. Oh, he actually meant love. 
okay? But that comes a little bit later. We have this, we have this title, uh, No Longer Them, There Is Only Us. This is taken from uh, one of my favorite bands, Thrice. And the song is about how we stand divided in our worlds by calling people them. And they don't realize that we are all one race. We're all the human race. And that it's us. That we are together. That it's, it's all of us. God continues to do amazing things through the apostles. Slowly, the Holy Spirit starts to open up the bigger picture to Peter and to Paul. Yeah, or not Paul yet, but Peter, John, and James. They start opening up the, in the camera we call the aperture, he starts opening it up to where all this stuff starts coming in, all this light, all this information starts coming in. All these meanings start opening up. God leads Philip. This is, this is really cool. This is the coolest story. I wish Philip was more in the Bible. Uh, he gets mentioned a couple times, uh, and, but this one is really important. This one is the first step out of the Jewish belief, out of, out of uh, the Christian world only being for Jews. This is the first step. God tells Philip, Philip, go to that road tomorrow. And he's like, which road? He's the one out there on the right. And he's like, oh, okay, yeah, I know which one you're talking about. Just go? And he's like, yeah, go. You wake up, 6 a.m., go out there. So he's like, okay. He wakes up, 6 a.m., he goes out there. And while he's out there, he kind of is walking towards the road, and he starts hearing something. And uh, I wish I had, uh, I wish I could quickly turn to Isaiah. It's okay, I can't, I'll, I'll just go from Ezekiel. Here. But he he hears something off in the distance, and he sees this chariot. And in this chariot is an Ethiopian eunuch. Okay, um, he is making a pilgrimage to Israel uh, because he has found the book of of Isaiah, and he has fallen in love with God with the book of Isaiah. Which, if you've read the book of Isaiah, this is a miracle in itself. Um, but he start, and it says that the Ethiopian eunuch is reading out loud, and Philip can hear it. Okay, Philip can hear it over horses and a chariot. So I don't know what this guy's doing. He's going, son of man, speak to Israel. And he's yelling this stuff. And, and Philip waves him down. He's like, oh, hey, man. Hey, what up? And he's like, hello, good sir. He goes, and, and Philip goes, do you know what you're reading? And the guy goes, I have no idea. So I don't know <laughs> I don't know how he's fell in love with God with that. He has no idea what he's reading. And Philip goes, well, do you mind if I tell you? And he's like, come on in. And they start writing. And Philip starts talking about Jesus in Isaiah. And he starts walking this Ethiopian uh, eunuch through the gospel in Isaiah. He starts breaking down. Okay, this is what he means. This is in this portion... He brings up a certain portion, and he talks about, uh, um, I, I missed it. Anyway, uh, he starts talking about the Son of Man coming at and, and bringing salvation to the earth. And uh, the unit goes, who is this man? And Philip goes, hey, you just missed him. But he was a guy, died for us, and he came back, and he walks him through who Jesus was. And the eunuch says, hey, man. This is an Ethiopian. This is not a Jewish person. This is an Ethiopian. And he goes, hey, man, what's keeping me from being baptized? And Philip goes, I don't know. He goes, there's a stream right there. We can baptize you there. And the guy's like, yeah, dude, let's do it. Baptizes him. Philip disappears. Boom. Instant transmission to somewhere else where he's off and he's preaching. Boom, he's gone. The eunuch never sees Philip again. He's in the water. He's out of the water. Philip's gone. That's amazing. That's awesome. And the thing is, is that Ethiopian is not Jew. And I'll tell you why that's an important uh, part later on. But then Peter, he goes, right? He, he goes and he's traveling. And he goes to a town um, outside of Judea called Joppa. And in Joppa, there's this lady named Tabitha. Or they called her Gazelle also. I don't know why. Um, but she is like Mother Teresa, Okay, she does good things for everybody. She's I don't know if she's old or if she's young. I don't know. But uh, she's doing amazing things for poor people and for widows and everything. Everybody loves her in the area and she dies. She's wrapped up. They're about to bury her. And Peter comes walking into town and he hears what's going on. He's like, hey, man, where's Tabitha? And He's like, well, she's dead. She just died an hour ago. And he's like, oh, well, let me go see her. And he goes in and he raises her from the dead. Boom. 
I don't know if that was the first. Peter had seen that. I don't know if that was his first time to actually do it himself, but he just walks in, boom. Jesus has healed you. Rise up, Tabitha. She gets up. She's like, oh, man, thank you. And she starts living a good life. Peter ends up staying in Joppa. This is, a, this is kind of the important part where we're getting to, and I'm going to speed through this one. Then we are introduced to a guy named Cornelius. Cornelius is a centurion, and he is head of the army in that district. It's called the Italian Regiment, and he is the head of it. And he, the Bible says that he is a devout follower of God, even though he's Greek. Okay? Once again, this is important here in a second. And uh, he says that his whole household uh, prayed and worshiped God. He, a Gentile, seemed to understand the heart of God more than the disciples did. Because right now, the disciples are only speaking to Jews outside of Philip. They're only preaching the gospel of Jesus to Jews because that's who they thought the Messiah was here for. Okay? And and he gets a vision from an angel that says, hey, go find this guy named Peter in Joppa. And so he sends some people. Peter has a vision. He's hungry one day, and he's praying, and they're cooking food, and he smells the food, and he's like, man, I'm hungry. Uh, But he's praying, and in his prayer, he gets a vision of this blanket coming down, a picnic blanket coming down from heaven. And in the blanket is all these animals, all these different animals. There's chickens, there's cows, there's pigs, there's, I don't know, zebras. I don't know what's in there. A bunch of animals, okay? And and he hears a voice from heaven say, kill and eat. And Peter, he's like, whoa, okay? Whoa, hold on. And this is, he says, he says this. Um, Let's see. Uh, It's important to know right here that uh, the, the Jewish belief to prove that you were a Jew was, there was two main things. One was circumcision, if you're a man. You had to be circumcised to be a Jew or to convert to Judaism. Um, And the second is just like it. (laughs) It's as equal as the first. And the second was your dietary restrictions. You had to eat kosher. You couldn't eat pig. You couldn't eat blood in in the meat. You, You had to follow these restrictions, right? And to break from the dietary law was to break the covenant itself. So if you ate a a piece of lettuce that was next to a piece of pork, you broke the covenant, dude. You're out of here. That's how strict it was. In fact, there is a book that was left out of the Bible because it didn't quite follow the canonicity of of the other books. It's called the Maccabees, and it's actually in the Catholic Bible. There's a first Maccabee and a second Maccabee, and in the second Maccabee, it tells a story a Jewish legend of this woman and her seven sons being tor- willingly being tortured and executed because they wouldn't eat a piece of pork. That's how, that's how important this is, okay? And so Peter hears a message from God. He says, hey, kill and eat. And Peter says, surely not, Lord. I have never eaten anything impure and unclean. And that was found in Acts 10, 14. And then the voice says this in 15. says, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Now he changes, he changes what he's talking about here, if y'all notice. First, they're talking about food. Peter says, I'm not going to eat the food. It's impure. God says, don't call anything impure that I have made clean. He does this three times, okay? Three times. I told you, Peter, an, an oaf. Three times he has this vision. The next verse in, I think, 17, I don't know if I have that one for you, TJ, or not. In 17, it says this. The next verse, while Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, he had it three times, and you, you don't know what he's talking about, Right? So, so he, while he's trying to understand this vision, the people sent by Cornelius show up, and they're like, Peter! And he's like, what? And he's like, listen, we're sent to get you. So he invites them in, they hang out, whatever. Peter goes with them the next day to Cornelius, and I, this is super important for you to understand. 
One, he goes into Cornelius' house, and the Jews were not to associate with Gentiles. This was non-negotiable. They're dirty. They're impure. They're not worthy of your time. They're not worthy of God's time. Don't spend any time with them. Don't even go over to the house. Don't eat food with them. Don't break bread. Don't sleep at their house. Nothing like that. If you do, you become impure. You become unclean. Okay? So one of the first things that Peter says when he walks into Cornelius, and they're like, welcome him. Woo! What's up, Peter? I'm so glad you came. And Peter's like, hey, 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 yahoo, don't touch me. Um, you know this is really strange for me to be here, right? Like, it's against my laws to be here. But God told me to come, so I came. So, what do you want? Okay? Let me put this into uh, American perspective. How many of y'all know LaCola and Daryl? LaCola and Daryl are one of the most hospitable people. They're, they are so awesome and so great. They throw the best parties. If you get invited to one of their parties, you need to head over there, get some good food. I got invited to one of their parties one time. Anyway, I think it was a, a Caleb's graduation party. And I walk in, and I'm the only white guy in the room. Okay? And they are throwing a party. They're, and they see me. I start getting introduced to Cousin DJ and, and Uncle George. And I don't, I don't know the names, really, because it was, it was overwhelming how many people were loving on me. But they were like, here, eat this, eat this. Here, here's another plate. And I was like, oh, my goodness. It was so hospitable. But let's paint this if I was Peter. And I walk in. I've been invited to this party. And I walk in and I say, you know, guys, this isn't really supposed to be happening. In fact, my moral code dictates for me to not even associate with you guys. So, but, you know, God told me to come in here. <laughs> I don't know what was up with that. But I'm here, so what do you want? I see that, if I did that, I see... Uncle George standing up, and he's going, oh, I'm going to kill this mother. And, and Daryl's like, whoa, whoa, hold on. He's a dumb white boy. I've invited him over to eat some ribs, okay? Let's just take pity on him, okay? He's dumb. Look at his hair. And, and Cornelius goes to Peter, and, he's, and with full graciousness, even though he just very racially came against him, Cornelius says, well, man, listen, God gave me a vision. And he said, hey, you know, uh, call this guy named Peter from Joppa. That's all I know, man. And all I know is that you have something about God that I want to know. So we're going to forget what you just said, and we want to hear what you're going to say now. Well, tell us about this Jesus. Right? And so Peter, he goes on and he starts having this long dissertation, a little bit longer for a, a hello. And he starts talking, he starts talking about Jesus, and he says, Oh, well, if you had a vision from God, surely God shows no favoritism. And then, boom, as he's talking, every Gentile in that house gets filled with the Holy Spirit and starts talking in tongues. Boom. Like that. But he's not even done talking. I'm sure at some point he was like, yeah, and then and then he's like, man, why are they talking? I am talking. He got offended. He turns around there. He's like, oh, that's what's going on. And to show you how kind of racist even his buddies that came with him were, says despite everything they had learned from Jesus, they still thought the promise of the Messiah was only for the Jewish community. The message of Christ appealed to these Gentiles, but the community telling the message was not appealing. In fact, they were actually against Gentiles coming in despite their message of love. And it says, it says that when his partners, when the guys that came with him found out what was happening, that these guys were filled with the Holy Spirit, they were astonished. And this is what the Bible says. 
they were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit was also even given to the Gentiles. Wow. Man, I don't know if you get that. These guys were racist. Their, their laws were bred. They were grown up to say, if you're not Jew, you're not a part. And so the Holy Spirit is breaking some stuff down for them. He's breaking down those laws that held them bound. He's breaking down that racism that they were holding on to. And now they start understanding. Peter has his eyes opened, finally. Boom, we're opened. I see what you're talking about. And the, he goes back to the church in Jerusalem, and they're like, oh, man, that is so cool. Man, we get to talk to the Gentiles. What's, what's up? No, they don't do that. That's not what they do. They do the exact opposite. In fact, in Acts 11, 2 through 3, it says this. When Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went into the house of an uncircumcised, of uncircumcised men and ate with them? This is the church in Jerusalem. This isn't Pharisees. This isn't Sadducees. This isn't Joe Blow walking down the street. This is the church. And that's it. That's all that is said in that moment about this topic. Now, you can imagine how well the Jewish community is accepting of this, right? They aren't. Paul gets saved, and he has his big conversion, and he becomes BFFs with a guy named Barnabas, right? We're going to call him BB, okay? He, he becomes friends with BB, and they have this burning in them to go preach and talk to Gentiles, because what happens is they start they, they're sent by the church in Jerusalem to go and preach the gospel. So they're preaching gospels in the synagogue. They show up for a synagogue. They start talking. They start blah, blah, blah. And people are like, ooh, I like this message. And then Paul starts going, yeah, and Jesus is more important than Moses' law. And the Jews don't like that. <laughs> they don't like that at all. And so they start beating. They start stoning. They start kicking them out. And um, so... A couple of people, a handful of people hear the message and they, they start become believers. And they take Paul, he's beaten bloody, they take Paul and they nurse him back to health. And this happens several times. Then Paul starts looking around the rooms and he starts realizing these aren't Jews taking care of me. These are Gentiles. And so he starts going, that's right, Jesus did tell me I was uh, supposed to go to the Gentiles. So he starts going into the synagogues first. They get mad, and he's like, okay, see ya. And then he goes out into the street, and he starts preaching Jesus. And he starts getting converts, crazy numbers of converts. Now, this is great, and this is awesome, but the Jews in Jerusalem who are Christians, they don't think this is too cool. What do you mean he's teaching the Gentiles? Not only... Was, was Paul welcoming Gentiles in, but now Paul is saying the law is obsolete? Man, we still go to church on Saturdays. What is he talking? He's crazy. So a faction of them start, they, they lead the first organized missionary effort to the Gentiles, but with the whole purpose to undermine the credibility of the first Christian missionary to the Gentiles. So their goal is to do this, Acts 15, 1. They start teaching this. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. You can't be saved. All the men say, yeah, no, I'm out of here, man. See ya. Right? You should have told me before I came into church that that was going to happen. I'm out. Right? These guys were preaching a message that blended the old covenant with the new covenant. They, it, was, it wasn't salvation by faith. It was salvation by surgery. It was salvation by law. 
Unfortunately for them, just as they start, they like bust out the knives and they're like, shing, shing, shing. they're like, sharpen it. Oh, get the aprons, guys. Um, as they're doing that, guess who show up? The devils themselves. That's right. Paul and Beebe showing up. They're walking in. They're like, oh, man, someone's getting ready to cook. What's going on in here? And the guy's like, shing, shing, shing. And Paul's like, what's really going on here? And he finds out he ain't happy about it. He's uh, content. The Bible very nicely says, and then contention starts, right? Uh, so the Christians there, they send Paul and Bibi back to Jerusalem. And they say, listen, guys, y'all got to straighten this out, right? Because we want to believe in Jesus. We just don't want to have anything chopped off, okay? So you need to go talk to uh, people in Jerusalem, get a for sure answer. And so Paul, Bibi, and some other guys, they go down to Jerusalem. And uh, both sides are heard. There's a big council that's made. Both sides are heard. And then Peter stands up. And Peter recaps what happened with Cornelius. This is probably about a year ago or so, six months to a year later. And he recaps what happened with Cornelius. And then he poses this question in Acts 15.10. He says this, Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the next of the Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? Okay, guys, listen. What's going on with that? We've failed. So why are we putting these guys who haven't been raised like we have underneath the same law? And it's not a rhetorical question, but no one answers. So he answers it himself. And he says this in Acts 15, 11. He goes on to answer his own question. He says, no, we believe it is through the grave of our, or the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. We believe it's through Jesus' grace that we're saved. And if we believe that, they should also believe that. And we should believe that for them. Now, James, if you don't know who James is, James is not one of the disciples. In fact, he is Jesus' brother. And he doesn't get saved until after Jesus raises us from the dead. And James, he becomes a very prominent uh, person in the church to where he's like the head of the council, okay? He's the judge of what's going on. And James, he uh, steps up, and like the former Pharisees in the room, he believed Jesus was Christ after the resurrection. But unlike them, he believed that the Gentiles should be included in the community without first converting to Judaism. And he says this in Acts 15, 19. He, he, before this, he quotes a, a line uh, from Scripture. He reads the Scripture. And then he says this, It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. We should not make this difficult, guys. This is a good message. This is a new message. Why are we corrupting good message with bad news? We should not make it difficult for Gentiles who are turning to God. Think about where the church would be today if we had kept that simple idea in the forefront of everything we do. Think about it. The church these days is not shown in a great light in the world. In fact, we are known as oppressors. Outside of the church world, out of the side of the church bubble, we are oppressors. We are ignorant. We are uneducated. We are outdated. We are primitive oppressors. That's what the world sees us as now, today. What if we had not made it hard for people to turn to God? If instead of behavior modification, we instead taught God's unconditional love 
where would we be? Now, there is a debate about accuracy in, in numbers in the Bible. You know, so like, oh, at this battle was 20,000 soldiers, or at this battle was 500,000 soldiers. There's a debate in theologians if those numbers are accurate or not. And uh, it's understandable uh, why they have that. And I've always looked at the numbers in Acts as that. Uh, Peter speaks uh, at the synagogue, and 3,000 people become saved that day. Well, I've spoken a lot of synagogues, and two people have gotten saved that day. One of 3,000 isn't really a real number, right? I've asked myself that. And uh, it's a little, it was a little far-fetched with me, but then I saw this article. Can you throw up the first article for me? Then I see this. Thousands gave their lives to Christ at a Kanye West last uh, latest Sunday service in Baton Rouge. Thousands of people gave their life to Christ at a Kanye concert. What? What? No, that's only in Book of Acts. That's only overseas at big crusades. That happened in America? That happened in Baton Rouge? Only a couple hours from here? And then, in that same article, uh, I thought I had it on my phone, but it's got, my phone's over there. But in that article, it starts listing the situation. And the situation was that this wasn't even a plan and paid for concert. That this was a last-minute concert that was pulled up at a church that just happened. An impromptu concert, wasn't even on a good sound system, wasn't even in a stadium, and they had this next picture in there. This is the picture of the place. It's outside. It's not in Lakewood, even though I bet that was kicking in freaking Lakewood. Now, have you heard some of those songs on that CD? In Lakewood, that'd be blowing my mind. But this is outside, an impromptu concert of a guy that, let's see the next slide, of a guy that in Time Magazine has been written how Kanye West, controversial Jesus is King, is dividing the Christian community. Why on earth is it dividing the Christian community? Is it maybe because we made it a little hard for Gentiles to become saved? Is it maybe, uh, maybe we are so untrusting of the people who are famous or untrusting of the people who are in power that we start thinking, oh, they must have a second scheme. Uh, they must just be trying to get money from us, Right? I don't believe that at all. I believe that Kanye West's conversion so far has shown that it's real. And the way that I can tell that is because thousands of people have gotten saved at his concerts. And that's not just a one-off. That's just one article. And so the question we have, right, is are we making it hard for people to see Christ because of the way our community is set up? I don't know about you, but I've been taught growing up that there are certain people who I'm not supposed to associate with because they live a certain way, because they look a certain way. Most of y'all don't know this, and I've asked Jared if I can wear shorts someday on stage. But I have a tattoo, a rather big one. And my parents, back in their day, when they were kids, my mom told me this when I was a kid. Tattoos are for ruffians. Tattoos are for rough people. No, thanks, Mom. Uh, I am kind of rough, aren't I? That was a joke. Anyway. But I was taught that. I was taught not to associate with certain people. And the thing that I've found here lately 
is that the people who I was told not to associate with are the people who are more open to the message of Jesus Christ. And not the law, but the message of Jesus Christ. The love of Jesus Christ. Uh, we had a, a girl, we, me and Lindsay, we record, we haven't done it in a while, but we record English books for Taiwanese people. And I think I'm famous in Taiwan. In Taiwan. Um, but we recorded with this girl who, uh, she was one of the other voices. And we were sitting there, we had dinner, because anytime people come to our house, we cook dinner and all that stuff. Uh, even if they were recording music or whatever, we'd cook them dinner, right? That's part of the deal. And we were sitting around the table, and she's asking, she's in a relationship, and she she has fear of commitment. Her boyfriend wants to get married. She doesn't want to get married because she's fearful of commitment. And she starts ask, asking us what we believe about marriage, what we believe about commitment. And so I start breaking it down, what I believe. And I start telling her, you know, Jesus taught us what commitment was. And I start teaching her the love of Jesus. And I start teaching her how the Bible says that husbands are to love their wives as Christ loves the church. And that women are supposed to submit to their husbands only if they do that, right? Only if they do that. Only if they love them like Christ loved the church. Right? And so I start breaking this down. And I start teaching her how Jesus showed us what love is and what he taught about love. And I start going over it, and I try not to dive too deep into it because it's a lot, guys. Like today. Today is a lot. I can. There's more to the story that I cut out. But there's... I start telling her this stuff and I start briefing over. I say, yeah, you know, Abraham. Yeah, you know, Moses. Yeah, you know. And I start briefing over this. And she goes, who are they? And I was like, you never been to church? And she says, no, I was raised Buddhist. I'm a Buddhist. And I was like, oh, this changes things a little bit. Because now I got to let you know who these people are. But you know what she was interested in before she knew who Abraham or who Moses or anything was? She was interested in the idea of Jesus' love. She said, I've never heard that before from Christians. I want to know more. I want to hear more about this. And she's a Buddhist. I think that in our Christian community, we've, we've started to uh, segregate ourselves away from people and building walls and saying, you believe this way, you believe this way. I'm only going to associate with these people who believe like I do. You believe something else. You go over there, go to a different church, go to a different religion. You go whatever. You're a different ethnicity or, or nationality and your morals are different. So, you know, your morals are kind of wonky. I'm just not going to, I'm not going to hang out with you guys. And if we were honest with ourselves, we do that. And if we're honest with ourselves, the church has taught that. Church is taught to do those things. But Paul and Peter and James, they start teaching something else. But some things we have, uh, but, but here we said, uh, I, I asked the same question. Peter asked the council, why do we ask people to wear a yoke? We ourselves wouldn't be or haven't been able to carry. But why should we? Someone might ask. Do we have the obligation to make sure that, uh, don't we have the obligation to make sure that they do the right thing to get them into heaven? Don't we have that obligation? And I say, yes, we do have the obligation. We have the obligation to love because he first loved us unconditionally, no questions asked. He died for us before we were even born. He finished the obligations that came with the law. He made them obsolete and he established a new covenant of love 
and mercy and grace. And I've taught this to you guys many, I, I, I teach the same pro tip. Every time I teach, I teach the same lesson to you guys. Honestly, I start teaching y'all about sin and how sin equals selfishness. And the opposite of selfishness is what? Love. I teach it every single time because I can't get away from it. If we understood what love was, there'd be no racism. There'd be no wars. There'd be no political arguments. There'd be no whatever this is that we deal with every single day that gives us grief and strife and anger and and remorse and guilt and and all those things if we understood love and we loved each other as Christ loved us and we taught people how to love each other like Christ loved them then this world would be fixed guys the kingdom of heaven would be established here on earth and God and Jesus would reign here on earth because his people who he's given his power to has done the work that he commissioned them to. And so we are called to love as Christ loved us. Jesus showed up and he spun everything, every way of thinking upside down. Love your enemies. When someone asks you to walk, carry their stuff one mile, walk two miles. If someone asks you for your coat, give them your shirt too. Do something above and beyond because when you do that, eyes are going to be open. Hearts are going to be open. All of a sudden, you you make room for the Holy Spirit to to come in and say, you know what? Me, Me cheating on my wife isn't loving her. You know, me... Me being an alcoholic isn't good for my kids. If you notice, sin really has nothing to do with it because the law of love is tougher than the law of sin. The law of love demands that you treat everybody with that love. It demands it. If you're ever in a situation and you ask yourself, well, is this sin? I think the better question for any situation is, man, what does love require me to do right now? To myself, to my significant other, to my children, to my parents, to my neighbors, to my strangers, to everybody around me, what does love demand of me? And how can I do that? You'll start finding that a lot more people will be receptive to your Jesus if your Jesus looked like Jesus. If you really start getting that. I'm going to pray and then let Pastor Jared dismiss us. Father, I thank you for everything, everything that you've done for us from the beginning of time, God. And I thank you for sending Jesus to show us that there's no more debts that need to be paid, that there's no more after feast, after obligation, after obligation, after law, after law, to make sure that we don't anger you. But instead, you decided to teach us that you're not angry, but that you love. And Jesus, thank you so much for showing us that love and coming down and flipping our ideas upside down and, and, and messing up our little sandcastles that we built 
to show us the real castles that God had already built in love for us, God. Jesus, thank you for that. And Holy Spirit, thank you so much for connecting the puzzle pieces and connecting the dots for us because you know we would have never gotten it on our own. Holy Spirit, thank you for being with us every single day and living with us every single day and being right there whenever we need you, always being there to fill us up, not from outside in, but from from inside out. That your spirit would well up in us and not just for our sake, but for the sake of this world and not just the people in this world, but the nature of this world. The animals and the plants and the the sea creatures and the birds. Paul says that they're all groaning for us to realize who we are in you. So Holy Spirit, help us. Help us to get there. Help us to show love. Help us to require love of ourselves for other people. And by this, let us show you how we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.